Okay, hi everyone, it's Tom from Cricket Coach 365 and this is our third podcast uh, in a series that uh, we started a couple of weeks ago um, with Ellie and then we uh, chatted with uh, Danny from uh, Western Storm last week and this week we're delighted to to welcome, well I'm just going to call him JC, um, he can introduce himself uh, properly in a moment but but James is the first question for you really is to take us back as we, we seem to uh, start off uh, these conversations. Just take us back to when you first started to get involved with cricket yourself as a as a player, perhaps. Yeah, sure. Um, afternoon, evening, morning, wherever everyone is. But uh, thanks, TJ, for, for having me on. Um, yeah, well, I, my first cricket memories probably were sat on my dad's lap watching test cricket, to be honest. And uh, uh, It'd been the bleak 90s where England couldn't win much and uh, the West Indies and the Aussies were just knocking England over for fun. Uh, it's interesting now, all the all the reruns that you see on the, on the TV of that brings back lots of memories. And then just kind of moving on to street cricket uh, and playing a lot of uh, cricket in the street when kids played out still and mm-hmm. you know, we all just used to go out and play, play, play cricket in the street uh, with the very young, um, very kind of young families around the streets and there was loads of kids to play out with and um, played a lot of club uh, sorry before I went to club to clubland actually played a lot of kind of cricket in the playground at school them, them invincible blue quick cricket bats that still exist today were around when I played cricket at school 25 years ago and um, and from there you know just kind of school tournaments and the introduction at school I went and joined a club down the road and um, that was 2001 um, so yeah I've been playing club cricket for 20 years now but that was my first entry into, into cricket and, and uh, yeah I started on the 13 so it's quite old when I, I started playing more traditional cricket but the kind of been those unstructured formats and school cricket that led into that really um, but yeah not a lot back since 2001 absolute cricket badger and and love it so um you said that uh, your first memory was watching test cricket uh, with your dad on the telly so um Tell, tell us about your, the interest in cricket your dad had. My dad was a, just a sports nut, really. Uh, he actually played rugby, from rugby union. He was from the south, uh, kind of came through the schoolboy system. Uh, so he loved rugby, football, uh, and played both those codes. And, and generally just had an interest in every other sport that was on the TV. Uh, um, he didn't particularly play a lot of cricket, but had a, a lot of knowledge of cricket and interest in cricket. And growing up, dad was... The, um, my dad was actually from Coventry and I was brought up in, in Wigan. So every, every summer holidays and, and school half-term break, I'd go down to Coventry to see my dad. And, and um, you know, we'd just spend every day either watching sport or playing sport on the park. The amount of balls he threw, he threw at me or, you know, kind of one-on-ones playing football and rugby, you know, kicking the ball over the, the sticks or, you know, kind of striker versus goalkeeper situation. It was just loads of that, you know, lots of unstructured play and very playful and just playing through discovery really and it just got me hooked on physical activity and being outside and playing sport what what's i, I love that uh, phrase you've mentioned it a couple of times already now i think um today kids are spoiled by the um the the huge variety of opportunities to play structured um sports and and games and yet um, yeah, I like you remember so many hours of just unstructured play, and you know whether it be by myself or whether it be with friends in the street or whatever. Um, so, um, what 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 do you think about that yourself nowadays in terms of um, structured versus unstructured play? Oh, 
well, first of all, I'm, I'm all for kids playing as many sports as possible. And I think the, the, we've got to get rid of that traditional mindset. We don't have to go in. I think football has been a bit of a trailblazer for this in that I'm not that old. I'm in my early 30s. But 20 years ago, I was playing 11-a-side football as a nine-year-old. And that's just not right. And I think in that, that 20 years, we've gone to smaller-sided games, smaller balls, smaller spaces, uh, more contact time, more more fun on on task. Um, you know, the likes of Brazil playing beach football is a really good example of that. Um, and look how you know they've been world leaders for, for fifty years. They're always there or thereabouts when it comes to, to World Cups and, and Olympics. Um, and then I guess I'm using a football example again here, but look, look at Belgium in 2000 at Euro 2000. They were the hosts and dumped out in the group stage, and were embarrassed by their performance. And they just ripped up their coaching structure. Mm. Um, and the way they, the way, the way they delivered coach education, the way they, they changed up the way that they coached individuals, and it was more about discovery, uh, learning through kinesthetics, constraints led training, um, and, and as a result, now twenty years on, the Premier League's littered with Belgian internationals, and, and at the last World Cup, they won the bronze medal. So there's definitely some correlation there. Um, so. So yeah, I'm a big advocate of that, and I spent two fortunate to spend two years in New Zealand, and you know it's such a vast country and, and a lot of sporting culture and a lot of outdoor space. And again, kids are still climbing trees. Kids are still playing lots of different sport. And you watch some of the kind of um, interviews on Sky and BBC, and they talk to the War Brothers and how they play backyard cricket, and it's mum and dad versus three brothers and sisters, and you know, the rules are the, whatever the shape of the ground is and it's on crazy paving and you just learn to adapt. Yeah. Um, and, and the War Brothers went on to do all right, didn't they? So if it's good mm. for them, I'm pretty sure it's good, good for anybody. Yeah, absolutely right, yeah. Um, so so what, what about, so you, you started uh, club cricket under 13s. Um, what, what were your sort of your highlight uh, memories of, of playing junior cricket? <laughs> to be honest, there wasn't a lot. We weren't... Um, we weren't an amazing club or anything. We were the one set of juniors on the 13s that would fill a gap when we went to 15s and we'd leave a gap behind. Jeez, um, there wasn't a lot. We were just kind of a, a group of lads that kind of were thrown together. One 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 lad's dad took the team. My mum was the scorer and the taxi driver to away games. And there was a, there wasn't it wasn't a kind of a, a how you'd imagine. Imagine, imagine it to be, and I guess I got into coaching, and I'm sure the conversation could go down that route in a bit. Is is because of the lack of structure at the time uh, at, at my club, and maybe some maybe some lack of external um, support as well. But that's what got me interested in coaching at, at 16, 18, ultimately to try and give back and rectify some of that. Uh, but I do remember we didn't win a game at the three years we were at 13s, and I remember we we tied the first game of the. 2003 season at under 15s. That was the first game we'd never lost, um, and I remember us just being absolutely buzzing about it, um, which is which is really bizarre. But ultimately, I don't think it's about winning or losing. I think uh, the, the celebrations around players getting 25 retired, 35 retired, depending on the rules, and lads getting wickets and. Um, I think the big success is a lot of them lads that I grew up playing cricket with still still are playing cricket. You know, yeah. the part of the part of the cricket fraternity still, and you know, just from a 
you know, from a social point of view and a well-being point of view, to still have that sense of belonging to cricket is, is probably far more greater than than any runs and wickets or personal accolades, to be honest. Yeah, I, th- I love that phrase as well, sense of belonging. Um, I think uh, there's still a huge part that um, a local cricket club can play in the community um, with regards to uh, almost sort of giving an identity to somebody. And um, I think uh, for stories like yours where it wasn't that structured, you didn't have a huge uh, pool of people to, to call upon, but somehow, some way, um, a team of under-13s was brought together. And you know, you, the, the success is that most of those are still in the game is, is great to hear. Um, so yeah, so you you said you you, you wanted to, um, I don't know whether it was a light bulb moment or whether it was just a case of having progressed from under thirteens through to sixteens, uh, eighteens that you started to show an interest in coaching. How did that how did that kind of pan out and develop? Um, I think it probably it had started to marinate probably the way my dad coached me. Like I said, in that one on one scenario, and and just I got an enjoyment around play uh, and, I, and I just had a passion to probably try and facilitate that and, and, and built my own toolbox personally to be able to facilitate that and um, I was 18 I'd just finished junior cricket um, and a club volunteer at the time who had a younger son and our, our junior section was starting to uh, grow again from kind of under 9s under 11s upwards because of a couple of players whose kids had started to um, Taking interest in the game, I, I just got approached by one of them asking if I want if, if I wanted to do my coaching, my first coaching badge. Um, and there was some funding from from the Wigan and Lee Culture Trust at the time for, for for young coaches. So there was a little contract in there I had to give a couple of hours a week uh, in return for the for the coaching course, the cost of the course. Um, I ended up coaching that group of kids from that following summer from under nines through to under 18s for the best part of 10 years so yeah they got a, a few more hours than two hours a week out of me and um, and it, it was really special to take a group of kids through from from eight nine ten years old to 17 18 19 and and subsequently although I don't play at that club now because I moved on and worked in the southern hemisphere and is that a lot of them lads are still playing cricket still which is probably the, my biggest achievement is that them lads are still playing cricket some of them are now coaching cricket as well so that um you know so that kind of legacy of giving back kind of carries on and ultimately that's how that's how the game survives and that's how any sport grows and and and, uh, and, and moves on essentially yeah and um and that, from a personal perspective i can relate to that 100 percent um at the club that I've uh, become involved in locally, um, I started about eight years ago, and um, it was eight years ago because my older son was seven years old and went to the cricket club with me. At, you know that was the the youngest you could be at that stage. It was pre All Stars, and um, I remember him meeting uh, another lad who looked equally nervous about wanting to. You know what was this? What was all this th- going to be about? Uh, how is it going to go, etc. And although um, Edward, my older son, has gone more t- gone to the dark side and played football more so than cricket, um, his younger brother is now really good friends with that same seven-year-old lad that Edward made friends with that first day, and they play cricket together now for the best part of seven years. And um, that group who are now under fifteens, 
um, having coached them this year, it's the probably the most um, rewarding, albeit very short season, but most rewarding season just to see the friendships, how solid those friendships have become through the game. Um, and you know, there's two girls in the team as well. So um, I'm sure we'll come on to, uh, to that when, when we hear more about your experience in the Southern Hemisphere. But that's still quite um, uncommon uh, in UK club land to have uh, girls within a, a boys setup. So yeah, great story. So so having done your having progressed through with those guys to under eighteens, what was your next step in in coaching? Because um, you you also had some time away from cricket, didn't you? But in terms of the the cricket coaching itself, um, having moved up to under eighteens with that group, what what happened next? Well, I guess in that ten year period, there's a couple of years I didn't actually coach the age groups, um, and I, I purely because of what I was doing in, in my full time job. Um, and and I was second team captain at one point for the seniors, first team captain at another point. So I was I was around these players because a lot of them as they got older were were playing senior cricket as well. And then I, I went back to to see them through at the back end of under fifteens, under eighteen. So, but I, I guess my coaching evolved and I developed my coaching actually through through my professional work at the time, which was I was a I climbed the ranks at ASDA and started off as a, a Saturday boy. Uh, kind of went through the ranks and through the development programs there as to to becoming a, a deputy store manager um, and as part of, of that role even though you just think it's managing people to stack shelves there's a lot of coaching involved in that and as to being part of uh, the walmart group you know the their training is from an industry point of view is, is world leading so i was really fortunate that although i was really interested in developing people development and coaching uh, from a cricket point of view um, it was it was going and getting a, a job in the real world as opposed to studying that gave me the train tracks if you like and the scaffolding to develop myself uh, rather than just going to college and university so so I learned a lot um, at work in the real world and working with people the same age as me when I started at 16 all the way through to people in their 60s and 70s um, and then all my cricket stuff was was around a full time job essentially. I did a, a bit of paid coaching um, on various programs, but it was all um, it was all casual work and and, not, and um, you know my, my, at the time you know my, my main uh, job was like I say working for ASDA and, and that was my priority to obviously put food on the table and, and, and you know start a life as. as a, as a, as a young twenty-year-old, twenty, you know, so, um, so yeah, that, I guess my coaching developed through professional development, really, and, and, and just part of growing up ultimately through my twenties, um, and then during that period, as much as I actually really enjoyed my job, uh, I had this hunger to could I could I do it full time? Could you know what what could I do to do something like? like what I was doing at Clubland on a full-time basis and work with a development group as a development officer with a, with a cluster of clubs, for example. I was really interested in that strategic position. Could I use my management experience from Asda uh, to, to kind of work in game development? Um, and I applied for so many jobs through my 20s time, probably applied for 100, um, from Argentina to Uganda to, to 
the more recognisable countries like Australia and New Zealand and the amount of emails that went unanswered or you just get the generic unsuccessful email, I've lost count, I've lost count. And uh, my partner who you know, has been with me through all this period of time he used to roll her eyes every time and I've seen a job in South Africa or Zimbabwe or the, the, the last the last stop in Tasmania at the bottom of the world or something like that and um, kind of I just kind of got to a point where I thought I just it wasn't never going to happen for me and then a job came up um, in Southland which is a province at the bottom of the South Island in New Zealand um, and it was a, a development officer role. It was actually a, just a summer six-month development officer role. And I picked up the phone to ring uh, the telephone number, and I thought I'm going to put my best foot forward and show a bit of eagerness and ring ring the person on the other side of the world. A full-time permanent development manager, if you like, and then a summer coaches. So I ended up putting my name in the hat for both of them, and it, I felt I felt like my, my last shot at 28. You know, most not that I conform to um, to convention or anything but you know a lot of people go and do the overseas experience in their early 20s and i was 28 with a mortgage and probably looking to have have a family and i'm up in sticks to try and get to new zealand for this chance of a full-time cricket gig um long story short i, I eventually got the job and and um so in 2016 kind of just up sticks with a suitcase and Move myself and my partner Rebecca out to New Zealand to try and uh, prove to everyone that, that I was worth a full time gig. And and and, and what is it's very hard to get into because you know we all love cricket. We'd all love want to work in cricket. So I didn't expect to, to get a job. But and there's a lot of people out there that won't get jobs, unfortunately. That maybe would be deserving of those jobs. But I got the chance, and, and off we went to New Zealand. I think um I mean that's just an amazing story by itself um for for everyone who's listening to you know just to uh, to hear the um the number of setbacks the number of challenges uh, but that undeterring uh, sort of determination to uh, achieve what your your goal was um you know for any anybody listening at the moment especially with lots of people um you know losing their uh, their jobs through the uh, effects of the pandemic um, as a complete aside, but uh, I think that's a, a brilliant example of how someone, despite everything, has kind of just gone for it and continue to uh, push themselves and believe and and make uh, changes and sacrifices along the way. Because I know I remember speaking to you during that that period, um, and it was not an easy uh, choice to go to New Zealand. Although um, to many people it might sound the most obvious uh, thing to do, having been knocked back so many times, it was not. As straightforward as that so um so yeah so uh having uh moved yourself and your partner all the way around the other end of the the, the globe what happened then well i got there and thought where where on earth have i gone <laughs> it was the bottom of new zealand it was uh well, it was a place called Invercargill, uh town of about or well, city city status of about 50 50 000 people very quiet place and First impressions, it was cold, it was windy, it was a quiet place. Um, and I guess I did what anyone would do in that circumstance. You start to have a little bit of insecurity and you kind of question if I made the right move. And I went there at the end of September, so just about to start a cricket season. Um, and 
emotions of that insecurity when I first got there. And I, I guess because you, I mean, yes, the Kiwis speak English. And you go to go to any overseas country that speaks English as their first language, um, and you would think it would be easier. But it is a different culture. And I think I really underestimated that it is a different culture, whether they speak English or not. Uh, um, but uh, the fortunate thing was the, the summer kind of intern was a, was a guy called Joe Clayton from, from North Wales who, who came out as well. So, um, yeah, I had a, a fellow countryman-ish, if you like. I don't know if you'd, you'd like that as a Welshman yourself. But, um, you know, I had someone from the same part of the world as me and, and we forged a, a good partnership. And by Christmas, that kind of whole storming around in your head and all them, um, kind of anxieties and um, just insecurities and vulnerabilities, if you like, just went away because we got stuck into some junior pro programs, something the equivalent to what All Stars would be in, 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 in the ECB called Superstar Cricket and Superstar Cricket Academy. And the passion for the game and just physical activity and being outdoors and being active was was amazing. So the culture and the attitude towards sport and, and my passion towards sport just went hand in glove and, and by Christmas and had that honeymoon period of three months and the sun had started to shine and then you build those relationships and Rebecca was, was settled there and started to make friends and that sense of belonging that I talked about at the beginning all of a sudden I started to feel part of the, the furniture and the fabric of, of what life was like as as a Southlander and as a, as a Kiwi um, and um, yeah, that, I, I'll never forget those first three months. And, and, and I guess, I think whenever we change jobs or we, we take on a new project, I think you will always feel that at the beginning. And it's just it's just really healthy to feel that, that way. Um, but just remember, you, you will always come out of it better if you persevere and show a bit of resilience. And you know, my current job, I've felt that I've gone through those emotions again. But having been through them emotions previously, I know and no, it's it's healthy and it's it's okay to feel that way. I think um, again, the, the authenticity of of um, how you how you explain explain and describe and reflect on that comes through uh, to me uh, loud and clear, which I hope it will do to to listeners as well. I think um, the word that I wrote down summing up uh, the way you described those first three months and adapting to that culture um, shock and. Uh, having all those anxieties apprehensions is is just showing that vulnerability and that um i think it's a word which again is quite topical at the moment for lots of reasons uh, but still is is something which um a lot of people struggle with to to um ex- sort of accept and be open about that vulnerability but i think by doing that it it um it helps engage people other other people around you and that uh, clearly you you know you managed to do that successfully and um and progress really well so so uh beyond that um that honeymoon period um you you managed to secure your um your time over there for much longer than what you originally anticipated didn't you yeah i stayed for, I stayed for two years in the end i probably would have stayed a bit longer um but for some family reasons really back at home home but um yeah stayed there for two four years uh, two winter off season and two summer seasons, which means you can you can start to get some continuity and build build on what you've done the previous years. And um, 
as a result, you know, covering a whole province and having two to three um, support delivery staff in the summer, uh, and as well as administrative staff, and um, it 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 meant that I got exposed to some things that I just didn't think I'd get exposed to. So you you end up you end up being across a lot of programs, and it doesn't necessarily mean you 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 physically touch every program and it doesn't mean that you're a jack of all trades and a a, a master of none but ultimately you head up the whole cricket program from a community point of view so you you, you're across the whole pathway in terms of senior provincial cricket and the the age groups uh, provincial cricket Um, and and you manage a lot of that and you manage coaches to deliver a lot of that and you may pick out a couple of teams that you want to work with as well because as a development officer you're also a coach Um, and it goes all the way through to club cricket and developing clubs and and, and supporting volunteers and coach development and then all the way down to the bottom I don't mean that in a disrespectful way but to the entry point uh, which is those first experience programs that that I talked about in um, Superstar Cricket Superstar Academy and also our flagship girls program that um, my my region so group my region is, is a Targo and Southland that I was based in down there that there was four sub regions of, of that area four associations that as a group of five development officers down there we we devised a girls only program which we call Girls Smash um, so each each major association each region of New Zealand got a pot of funding from from New Zealand cricket to devise a program to engage a low participating area of of the game target audience if you like uh, and there were some really cool projects done in other parts of the country to do with uh, south asian communities uh, disability uh, uh, youth programs because you know, the big gap in play numbers was between 13 and 18 uh, and we, we chose to go with um, with female participation so we devised a program called Girl Smash, which was ultimately unstructured softball, cricket festival, six aside, music, free t-shirts, free giveaways. And um, as a result, you know, we had 200, 200 girls picking up bats and balls for the first time on Queen's Park Oval um, from, from the local primary schools. And um, I think we caused the first traffic jamming in Chicago because it's not possible to have a traffic jamming in Chicago. But it was a really proud moment, and as a result, I got recognised the the following year in the New Zealand Cricket Award as um, Development Officer of the Year, which um, I don't mention too often. But I am really proud of it. But it, it sounds a bit you should uh, be <laughs> cringy to say it. No, but you should you should be proud. And I think um, again, that's quite uh, typical of the person I know in in you in that. Uh, you you know you sound uncomfortable, almost look uncomfortable, but you should be proud of it. I mean that's that was an amazing accomplishment and achievement to uh, to have got that program off the ground and um, made such a difference to so many um, young players. So you know I, I definitely think that accolade was well well worth it and uh, a good decision by the people who uh, you know awarded you that prize. I really needed it as well, to be honest, because all the. I was almost desperate to get a cricket job and I, I think when I got this opportunity in New Zealand I, I was at the tip of I was at the top of the cliff of desperation I really needed that job um, and thankfully I got it um, otherwise you know just my personality wouldn't have suited con- 
continuing to work in kind of mainstream business and retail and so it was just my it was just the break I needed but I needed that accolade to just kind of show back to the northern hemisphere for all those not backs I've got over the years but I, not to show not to kind of show well here's you know what you've missed out on but Actually, maybe those knockbacks were just part of the journey, and I needed all of those knockbacks to get me where I was there. So, yeah, it was nice to be on Sky Sport and sharing a, a dinner hall with people like Ross Taylor and Kane Williamson and, and Susie Bates. And so okay, JC, that's enough. That's um, enough. That's enough. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that long story short, you did you did well. You got you got your uh, you got your gong for all the uh, good work that you did in the community. It caused that traffic jam that anybody in that area will remember, I'm sure, for a long, long time. Uh, so so but you, but you you moved back home, and then the, your next venture was not local to the northwest. It was north of the border, wasn't it? Yeah. So we decided um, we'd see out a two year contract, but then. A surprise family and tra- travel home through Southeast Asia, have a bit of a holiday uh, for two years, just non stop cricket, to be honest. Uh, and then, kind of surprise family, uh, on when we got home, we told them a bit of a fib that we were going to travel longer than we were, and um, we we're going to surprise them kind of the week before Christmas and be home for Christmas. But in that time, I was still looking at what jobs were out there in the UK, and, and a development officer role came up for the city of Edinburgh. And um, I, I got offered the job and, and took it. So we cut we cut the the travel short. We still surprised the family. And once the kind of all the prerequisites around um, you know security checks, the roles like that were done, I was up in Edinburgh to start a role kind of early in November of, of 2018. Um, and again, really, I really enjoyed my time. I was only there 18 months in Edinburgh. But I really enjoyed my time working. With a different bunch of people in a really different landscape again, and uh, and again, I, I learned a lot. Very different to very different to New Zealand, but um, yeah, it was nice to work for. And I guess another culture shock, really, working for an associate nation versus you know a really established nation like like England or New Zealand. So, but yeah, um, so yeah, to answer your question, yeah, it did take me north of the border and. Assignment essentially. Did you did you work with um, Stephen Boyd by any chance? Was he one of the guys in that team, or was he a different? I, I thought he was in Edinburgh, but it might have been a different time. Uh, he, he must predate me. Right, uh, yeah. The name has never been brought up, actually, so I don't know. And then um, coming back full circle to uh, present day, so you are now director of cricket for Northern Diamonds, which is an amalgamation, isn't it, of. Um, the northeast uh, counties um, for women's cricket. So, how how did that come about? And and tell us the the journey so far. Yeah, well, I was I was enjoying my time in Edinburgh. Uh, set up a few academies to and work with the MCC Foundation around providing um, more cricket opportunities for state school kids. Yeah. So ultimately, just to kind of explain why I was in Edinburgh and why I left Edinburgh. So I was quite happy in Edinburgh. My, my, daughter, my first child was born in Edinburgh. I was uh, really enjoying my time there and started to, that second year, start to see the fruition of, of being there and understanding the landscape. And the primary objective was around um, getting more state school kids playing the game. Yeah. Because there was a big, um, there's a big concentration of uh, independent 
public fee-paying schools, children playing the game, because the amount of fee-paying schools that there are in Edinburgh and, and in Scotland. Um, but it just came at a time where you know Claire Connor had been out in the late summer talking about the new uh, transforming generations strategic plan and, and an action plan off the back of that for women and girls cricket transforming women and girls sport and um, I started to see jobs come up uh, back south of the border and uh, I wasn't really looking to leave Scotland I was enjoying my job and probably wanted to give it another couple of years and really see it through but then these director of cricket roles came up and, and I just thought they were too good an opportunity not to throw my name in the hat I'd, whilst I was in New Zealand, I, as I meant, alluded to slightly, that I worked on the pathway as well as a, as a development officer and worked with the Otago Sparks, which is a domestic team, part of the 16 domestic structure in, in New Zealand, and I'd worked with the, the Sparks Feeder Academy, if you like, so I'd had that exposure to women and girls cricket. Uh, both from a performance and pathways point of view and that entry-level point of view with Girls Smash. So I thought I could really put a good application together to to show that I, w- I was right to be one of the, the eight new regional directors of, of women's cricket. Um, and I had a couple of knockback emails straight away uh, from a couple of the regions, but um, the regional host for, for the Diamonds is, is, is Yorkshire County Cricket Club, and, and I got an email back to say they wanted me to go down to Headingley for an interview, and... Um, just planned as best as I could and had a phone call an hour after the interview thinking I'd been unsuccessful and they actually offered me the job and I was just blown away and my wife rolled her eyes again and we were on, we were on the road again. <laughs> so what, what does the role encompass then, day to day? Ultimately, it, it hasn't turned out as it maybe originally was planned because I, I started on the twenty. 3rd of February, sorry, 23rd of March, and then on the 24th of March we went into full lockdown, so uh, ultimately the job is quite an all-encompassing role that oversees the whole pathway of women and girls cricket, but there is a very big focus on, in the first couple of years of the strategic plan, establishing the the women's elite domestic structure and the programmes, the competitions that they play in, and the academy that feeds into that. So... Day to day this year has been a bit, a lot, very reactional, and you know the things have changed pace and direction, you know, a million and one times because of coronavirus. But we've ultimately this year established our regional senior team in the Northern Diamonds, um, and we got players mobilised again, playing women's club cricket, playing women's county cricket. Uh, we actually used the women's county uh, games as a bit of a trial to see what players would then take the step up from county cricket to regional cricket. Uh, and that was great because we, we picked a lot of players from our own region, whereas Kia Super League was a bit more players would move around a lot from region to region in the previous era. So we picked a lot of homegrown players, which was really good. Uh, from as far northeast of Newcastle and, and down as far south as Sheffield, it's a really big region. Um, and now we're just in the process now of establishing our academy for the winter, which is a 40-week programme that, that kind of sits underneath and is uh, is the stepping stone to the senior team. Um, and it's going to be eight of them across the country with 15 players on them. Um, so it's a really exciting time for, for women and girls cricket. Each region will have five full-time professionally contracted players. Uh, 
their wider squads will be around the 15 mark and then and then academies are, are 15 as well so we're working with about 30 players in a kind of concentrated individualized and team performance program you multiply that by the by the eight regions that's 240 players so that's a real step in the right direction for improving the game you know and, and ultimately creating a better system so that we can produce in cricketers and hopefully win more world cups and, and knock those Aussies off their perch i spoke with uh, mike rotherham do you know mike um from uh, he's down the road from us uh, in the northwest he is chair of uh, cricket at um at Sutton Cricket Club, but he's um, performance psychologist for Institute of Sport and was the the lead psychologist, um, sports psychologist for England women's cricket when they won the World Cup. Um, he 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 spoke um, a while ago with us, and uh, it was interesting listening to his um, re- recap um, of those of those good days. But uh, but yeah, that and it sounds as though you've kind of um, you've found uh, an opportunity at the right time, being in the right place, um, to you know perhaps really make a mark in um in the, the women and girls arena which um which comes full circle to, you know kind of fits in really well with with how we started these podcasts because um ellie's uh, been somebody who's come through the 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 junior system uh through gloucestershire uh danny the same but is now kind of on the cusp of um england i think um and she's she's played for for Western Storm and Northern Diamonds uh, obviously had some great success this year in getting through to the the final. Yeah, we did. It was a great it was a great season. I must admit, I think a lot of things went well for me in my introductions to to the role. Uh, having the having the Yorkshire Diamonds from the Kia Super League, there's a lot of things in place for for domestic cricket for women that men. Have, ride on the coattails of some of that and some really good structures and really good people in place um, so that really helped that and then there's things we probably the square pegs we want to round the, the, the square edges off and there's things that we really want to keep and there'll be things that we want to change but um, we did have we did have some good success and, and, and I put it down to the people really Danny, Danny Hazel former England cricketer yeah. is our head coach and she covers both the Northern Superchargers for the hundreds obviously moved to next year now, now uh, combined with the full time role as head coach of the of the Northern Diamonds and uh, you know she, she was the Yorkshire Diamonds coach last year so those type of people and processes are in place it does make it easy to to mobilise cricket in what's a global pandemic and, and, and starting a new structure but actually there was some good practices so it wasn't Completely in structure, if that makes sense. Um, so yeah, we won. We won five out of the six North Group games, which meant we qualified for the final. And Southern Vipers won the uh, Southern Group six from six. And um, yeah, we had a, a nice run out at, at Edgebaston on, on Sunday in front of Sky cameras. And unfortunately, we lost by thirty odd runs, chasing um, two three one. Um, but actually, it was probably the right result. Uh, the Vipers were a strong side and executed their skills a little bit better than us. And but uh, and ultimately, of course, you want to win. You don't want the runners-up medal. But uh, just to get cricket on, to get to a final, to play live on the t- on the TV, and um, it's been a real good benchmark for us. And it's a real good springboard for us going into this winter if we can all improve in some areas we can maybe go one better next year and, and play across two competitions as a 50 over and a 20 over competition next year so 
yeah, a really tough six months and lots of emotions have been pulled in lots of different directions. But ultimately, we've, we've come out of it really well and, and hopefully coronavirus settles down, fingers crossed, and we can really kick on. Because all that momentum around women's cricket over the last 12 months has been phenomenal. You know, the World Cup down under in Australia was awesome. It was leading into our summer and coronavirus has kind of thrown a spanner in the works there, but it was great to get it was great to get cricket on at the back end of the year. So we didn't we didn't lose all that momentum. Well listen, it's been uh, brilliant uh, talking with you and um for for somebody who um I know is is a, a complete cricket uh, self confessed cricket badger but has not had the easiest of um of journeys uh, to get to where you are so far um and you know all those examples you've given um all along the way where undeterred you've carried um that kind of resilient mindset and mental toughness to you know continue to push yourself forward and and even the pandemic has not got in the way of you um being able to uh, get your role at uh, northern diamond so wish you all the very best in that role uh, for the coming winter but also the you know the future months um, beyond that and hopefully this time next year hopefully this time next year um yeah there'll be a, a perhaps a more normal uh, cricket season with obviously some adaptations etc but wish you all the very best with it jc and great to talk to you yeah tom thanks for thanks for having me in. and just one final thing for me would be you know coronavirus is, is not great but it does give us time to reflect it does give us time to recalibrate and nothing's ever perfect so just use the time that people might have to look at themselves and look at structures look at whatever you've seen people building houses you know bars in their back garden or doing decorating in the house and it's always a time to to just self-reflect so i wish everyone well for the winter and, and thanks for having me tom pleasure all the very best take care right stop the recording